of you ever heard of a guy named Warren Wearsby? Warren Wearsby. Not a great name, Wearsby. He wrote a whole series of books that began with the word be, as in Wearsby. And in his wonderful book, Be Joyful, Wearsby makes an observation that I want to invite you to think about with me from a number of angles this night. Wearsby says, all of nature depends on hidden resources. All of nature depends for its life on hidden resources. Trees, for example, draw their life from water and minerals that are deep underground within the earth. Rivers draw their flowing strength from the snows of lofty mountains that someone standing by the river never sees or doesn't see in that moment. Brain cells even draw their nutrients from blood that flows from, at least on a cellular level, a very distant and unseen heart. The vitality of a whole lot of things in life depends not upon what is readily seen right around them, but upon their connection with a deeper or a higher or a greater source. And these connections really matter. And so it is, says Jesus, with you, with your life. You may not see me with your eyes, but your vitality, says Jesus, absolutely depends upon the strength of your connection with me. The, uh, the way you move through life, the health and abundance of the life you live will spring from the strength of your connection with me. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. Using a very common image to anybody who's ever been anywhere close to a vineyard. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Connections really count, says Jesus. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, he's stating a fact that's true on a couple of levels that I think are, are really worth considering. At the most basic level, Christians believe that Jesus is the primary source of all life. Okay? We believe that we're not here by accident. We believe that it did not just happen randomly. We believe that at the core of all reality is Jesus himself. As John puts it at the start of his famous gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, the Jesus who talked with children is the same being who brought everything we see and that ever has been into existence. 
He is the primary source of all things. But Jesus is not only the creative source that began all of life. He is also, we believe, the sustaining source that continues life. He is what the Greeks called the divine logos. He is the supreme power that holds all of the energy bonds and relationships that define reality together by his power. He is the one by whose grace even the hardest atheist or the most thoughtless, nominal, religious person is allowed to go on. It is by his grace that he keeps holding them together and me together and all of us together. It is in him that we live and we move and we have our being all the time, all around. He is with us. He is holding us together. He is our practical source, our sustaining source. And when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, apart from me, you can do nothing, he's also saying, apart from me, there would be nothing. You would be nothing. But Jesus is even more than our primary source. Jesus is also our personal source. And I love the way that Max Lucado describes this in his book, When God Whispers Your Name. I just love this image. Try and picture this one with me. Take a fish and place him on a beach, says Lucado. Watch his gills gasp and scales dry. Is he happy? Answer the question. No, he's not happy. He's not happy. How do you make him happy? Do you cover him with a mountain of cash? Was that going to make him happy? Do you get him a beach chair and sunglasses? They make these little fishy sunglasses that are cool. Do you get those for him? Do you bring him a Playfish magazine and a martini? Do you wardrobe him in double-breasted fins and people-skinned shoes? Do you do these things? Is this going to make him happy? No, of course not, writes Lucado. So how do you make him happy? You throw him back in the water. That's right. You toss him back in the water because he will never be happy on the beach because he was not made for the beach. And the same is true for you and me, writes Lucado. Uh, We will never be happy living apart from the one who made us and saved us. Just like a fish was made to live in the water, we were made to live in close fellowship with our Lord. And nothing can take the place of that. This is why Jesus says, in fact, why he commands, remain in me. Take pains to remain in me. He speaks it with the intensity of someone who is urgently trying to get us back into the water that is our life-sustaining element. 
He's trying to make sure that we stay connected to the source of the spiritual sap, in a sense, that provides us with the power we desperately need to bear the good fruit we, frankly, in our clearest moments, want to be bearing, but know that we're not. Jesus, I'm sure, seeks us seeing, seeking all of these cosmetic solutions, these external solutions to, to the problems of our times. But he knows that what is actually needed is a connection solution. It's a connection problem at the root of all things. And his heart breaks over people who try to keep living their lives apart from him or who have engrafted their lives to poison ivy vines instead of to him. And this is not new. This is a very ancient problem. This is one that just keeps expressing itself in fresh ways every day. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. In fact, that's what The enemy says to the first human beings in Genesis chapter 3, you shall be as God. You take authority for yourself, you will be as God. He gave them the impression that they could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, as if they could be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God, and out of that hopeless attempt has come, writes Lewis, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this, writes Lewis. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel that our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on, there is no other source. That's why it's just no good, says Lewis, asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about his way. God can't give us a happiness and a peace, not the kind we most desperately long for, apart from himself, because it's not there. There is no such thing. I had a conversation some time ago with a a guy who was feeling frustrated in life. Um... He had been working on a variety of improvements to his life for a very long time. But he felt like it was just not bearing the kind of fruit he wanted. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that God's Spirit provides or produces in someone, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, compassion, the list goes on. But this man was very confused about why his life was not filled with these things. And he wanted these things in his life. I, I don't get it, he said. Growing up, I went to Sunday school every week as a kid. I come out to church most weekends now. Why am I still so haunted with worry? Why do I still have, as I go around the week, so many problems in my relationships? Why is there so much fear and so much anger and all these other things in my life? I just don't get it. And I said to him, tell me about how you are cultivating your connection with Christ daily when you're not in this building. And my friend was silent. Suppose I took you out to a winery this week. Sounds like a good mission trip, doesn't it? Suppose we went to a winery and, um, and we got a, a personal interview with the owner of the place, the guy that sort of runs the show, makes the wine. And suppose you said to him, listen, I'm very interested in this operation. In fact, I'm thinking about buying a really nice case of wine. Thanksgiving is coming up. I'm sort of excited to, to throw a nice party. I'm willing to invest in a really nice case of wine. You know, t- t- tell me about how you make this stuff. I mean, fill me in a little bit on the process of cultivation you use. And the owner looks at you and he says, well, I'm so glad you asked. You know, we take that very seriously around here. Every single weekend for maybe 60 or 90 minutes, we take the branches that we're going to have produce the grapes and we, we graft them right into the vine. And then, you know, um, we just wait. And you say, well, what happens after the 90 minutes? Oh, no, we just we pull them out. We sort of leave them on the side. But every single week, without fail, every weekend, 60, 90 minutes, it's plugged right into the vine. Is that all you say? Is that all you do? And he comes back at you and he says, oh, well, of course not. Well, well, during the week, I mean, during the week, we dedicate up to five minutes before breakfast, lunch, and dinner, replugging the branches back into the vine. And you're just dumbfounded. And he sees the expression on your face, and he says, that's not all. At certain seasons of the year, we dedicate 30 minutes during the week, most days anyway, you know, it gets really busy, and we engraft the, the branches back into the vine. What are you going to be thinking about that vine dresser at that point? How ready are you going to be to shell out your hard-earned cash for the kind of vintage likely produced by that kind of approach? And why, for, for a lot of us, does it work that way 
so very often when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. What kind of fruit do you want to be born from your life? How rich a fruit are you interested in? How abundant do you want love and joy and peace and patience and all those other things in your life? How powerful the bouquet do you want to come from the swirl of your life when you're in the company of others? What do you really desire? What do you do really long for? And, and, and honestly, honestly, what does the process look like that you're using to cultivate such fruit? Calvin Seminary President Neil Plantinga says that to place ourselves in range of God's choicest gifts, we have to walk with God, work with God, lean on God, cling to God, come to have the sense and feel of God, refer all things to God. In other words, remaining in Jesus means cultivating a continuing connection, right? An ongoing, vital connection. Not one life in church and one life elsewhere, but one life, just one life connected to him. So what can you do and what can I do that might cultivate that connection in a more effective way than may be our current pattern in life, or at least our pattern recently? Let me just give you three practical ideas. First of all, increase the number of intentional connection points you have with Christ each week. Maybe you don't even have five, up to five minutes before breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Maybe you've never, ever even thought about setting aside 30 minutes in the morning before you head off to school or work. Uh, Maybe it's a hard thing for you to even get out on a weekend to think about investing 60 or 90 minutes. Think about some step in the direction of more connection than you currently have. Don't beat yourself up. Don't be exhausted by this. Simply take one step. Go to a Christian bookstore. Here's how you're going to do this. Go to a Christian bookstore or or go to Amazon and buy a book on spiritual disciplines. Uh, There are tons of them. Books that will teach you how to uh, do exercises in your everyday life that increase the connection with Christ. Start weaving into your daily life some of the soul-training practices that these disciplines are, and see if you don't find it starting to produce something new in you. Or or sign up, maybe, for one of the equipping classes that your local church, maybe this one, offers. Um, Usually the Pathways Bulletin is jammed with announcements of phenomenal classes that are being offered. Do you know that almost no one goes to them? Incredible opportunities to connect with Christ's vision for some sphere of life. Very few people take advantage of them. Or ask a pastor how you can find a a small group of partners for the spiritual journey. Just an intimate group of people with whom you're going to check in every week and see how their relationship with Christ is going, how the challenge of living is 
playing out. Most people, most people never get around to doing these things. Or, or they rarely get around to doing these things. They wonder why there's not more fruit or the wine of life isn't tasting better. Be a disciple instead yourself. I want to be a disciple instead and stay connected to him. Secondly, when Jesus talks about remaining in him, he often puts it in slightly more specific terms. Spiritual disciplines, these soul training practices, is one of the ways we intentionally cultivate the connection through which he can move. But sometimes Jesus defines the process in these terms. He says, remain in my love. Remaining in me means remaining in my love. Remaining in Jesus means deciding to continually trust in the dependability of his love for you. And that is a decision because you will not always feel it. Remaining in his love means choosing to believe in each and every moment of your life that even when life hurts and even when the losses are very large and even when the future seems kind of scary, God has not stopped working for your good. He has not left you or forsaken you. He has has not abandoned you in any way. He will even be able to work for the good in the midst of what you're experiencing. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. Memorize the passage of Scripture that tells us that. Romans 8.28 and 8.39. Repeat that truth to yourself many times each and every day. Okay? Commit this to yourself so that it's part of your way of moving through life. There's a quiet moment and those words pop into your mind and you remember that nothing is separating you from his love and that he's at work in all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And let that never-failing love of God be the sap that courses through your life and gives you the courage and the strength that you need every single moment of every day. And this brings me to the final suggestion. Sometimes when Christ is defining what it means to remain in him, he says instead, remain in my word. Remain in me by remaining in my word. This does not mean simply putting my nose in his word. Okay? Although you'll hear people talk that way sometimes. Um, I've heard it many, many times. People will, will say, you know, I've, I've been in the Word a lot these days. I've been in the Word. And that's not bad, being in the Word in that sense. But when Jesus speaks of remaining in the Word, he's got a bigger um, engagement in mind. Um, it, it, means, it means an investment of yourself in what the Word is saying. It means deciding to continually trust in the reliability of his word. Remaining in Christ's word is like climbing into a wheelbarrow that is being handled by a high-wire artist over Niagara Falls. Okay? In fact, when we read in the Bible, believe in me, 
it's actually, the Greek phrase is believe into. Put yourself into the wheelbarrow of, of my commandments, of my life, and let me take you someplace uh, with them. You are remaining in his word when you are choosing to handle your conflicts and your money and your temptations and your worries and many, many more practical dimensions of life the way that Jesus instructs you to because you trust, you're choosing to trust that if you do what he says, he's not going to let you fall. Jesus promised that if you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth. In other words, you will know that what I've promised is true. And discovering that is going to set you free, Jesus said. It's just going to set you free. Nobody else can give you that freedom. I can't give you that freedom by preaching it in your direction. You've got to climb into God's wheelbarrow someplace. You have to, to, to live by faith and hold fast to what he tells you in his word. Someplace hard. But as, as you remain in him, in these faithful ways and difficult places, you're going to find it is the way to a greater fruitfulness and a greater freedom than you ever dreamed possible. It's going to be worth the risk. It's going to be worth the effort. Let me close with, with one last idea and, and do it by way of a, of a story. On a recent visit to the vineyards of California, author Margaret Feinberg discovered that vintners there adopt a pretty long-term strategy to their work. According to Feinberg, the first year that a vintner plants shoots of vines rather than seeds, and by the way, he does that. He doesn't throw out a seed. He picks out a shoot of a vine, and he plants that because those yield the very strongest vines. At the end of the first growing season, he cuts the shoots back. He prunes them back. A second year passes by. He cuts them back again, removing the extra stuff, the, the stuff that is getting in the way. Of, of further growth. It's just eating up resources. Only after the third year does the vintner see his very first viable clusters of grapes. And serious vintner, says Feinberg, leave those clusters on the vines. For most vintners, it's not until year four that they actually bring in their harvest. For those growing grapes for winemaking, they actually bottle their harvest but will not taste the fruit of their labors until year seven or eight, maybe. Applying these insights to the spiritual life, Feinberg writes this. Sometimes I look at my own life and I wonder, why am I not more fruitful? And why does pruning have to hurt so much? Why does cultivating a healthy crop take so long? And yet those questions, says Feinberg, circle around the here and now. God's perspective is much different. Like a good vineyard owner, he knows how to bring about fruitfulness better than I ever will. And he is patient with me. 
He is more patient than I am with myself. As we fulfill our callings, we have to recognize that like the vintners, our fruitfulness won't come overnight. Take heart from the promise of God's word. One of my favorite verses in all the scriptures, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. There's going to come a day when the fruit of the Holy Spirit is going to become in you staggeringly rich and abundant if you remain in him now. If you stay with him now. Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Recognize me as not only your primary source, but also your personal source for all you really need to make the most of life. Be intentional about connecting with me and, and keep going with those connections. Trust my love no matter what the external evidence. Hold fast to my word. Remember that no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. But if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, promises Jesus. I want that to happen through you. I am, I am more passionately desirous of producing great things through you than you can even possibly imagine, for this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Please pray with me. Our gracious God, we have no secrets from you. You know, um, you know how our cultivation process has been going. You know where um, we have been able to find our way into a deep connection, and you know how much of the time we, we simply lose it. And, and God, we... We know that we can't change the past, but we do long, God, to see your wonderful future. And so we pray that you might give us the capacity to do some of the very things we've been talking about today, to establish some of those regular connection points by which we cultivate our relationship with you. To dare to to trust in your love when it's hard. And Lord, to continue to step into the wheelbarrow of your word and live out life even when the winds are strong. So Lord, we pray that there will come a day when each of us will look around 
and marvel at the fruit being born in those disciples who have remained in you in this way. And may it be so that even one of them would stop and say, wow, look what God has done in you. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.